The New Testament reading today is 2 Colossians, verses 11 through 14. Before I I read, uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us today through your words written for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Colossians, beginning with verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you, made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The word of the Lord. Some of you guys know that uh, I'm a soccer fan. I I love soccer. Um, Everywhere else in the world they call it football. But if I said I love football here, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. So. I'll just call it soccer, um, and and I, and I love uh, English soccer. I, it's kind of the only one you can find on TV around here occasionally. Um, and and a team that I that I really like is a team called West Ham, and uh, they're called the Hammers. They're really creative, the West Ham Hammers. But um, they uh, are kind of on the uh, the west side of London, and. Uh, they're one of those teams that just has a tortured past, has a tortured history. Um, they, they never seem to win the big game. Even when they have a good team, it's like, oh, they finally have the team to do it. Uh, they just can't. And, and they've actually never won uh, the Premier League, which is like winning the Super Bowl, right? They've never won the championship. They're kind of one of those just down and out teams. Uh, and, and their only real claim to fame ever is that one of the all-time great soccer players in England ever in history played for them. His name was Bobby Moore. Um, you probably have never heard of him. That's okay. But he was like the Michael Jordan of the 1960s in English soccer. Um, Bobby Moore is famous for being the captain uh, of, of the English team in the World Cup, uh, for, for several different of the, of the years in the World Cup and, and, and most famously for being the captain, uh, of the 1966 World Cup team, uh, and they won the championship. They won the, you know, the whole thing. They won it all. They were the world champs. And, and not only were they the world champs that year in 1966, they won it in their home country, right? They were the host of the World Cup tournament and they won it that year in England. And so it was just, the best thing that could have ever happened for them. Uh, and, and so there's this famous moment where uh, the English, uh, English team has won, uh, has won the World Cup and, and 
the, the Queen of England was, was going to be presenting the trophy to whatever team that won, and it just happened to be uh, England for that. And so there's this incredible moment where the captain of the team, and his name is Bobby Moore, uh, is receiving the trophy from uh, the uh, from the queen, which, you know, she's been queen forever. She was queen in 66. It was Queen Elizabeth. Um, so I'm going to show you a, a picture of this, of this moment. So, so in the red shirt there, that's uh, Bobby Moore. In the yellow, of course, is, is uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, you can see Philip smiling on in the background there. Um, and she's got these, the, you know, those long white gloves on. And um, people have asked Bobby, what was that like, you know, to, to win the tournament for your home, for your country, and not only to do it but to do it at home and, and to get to meet your queen, right? And he said it was actually one of the scariest, most terrifying moments of my life, right? Where you would think, oh, it would just be joyous. And he said, I was terrified the whole time. And he says he realizes as he's walking up to get the trophy uh, that he is completely filthy, right? He's played a soccer game, you know, slid around, he's covered in you know, grass and dirt and all kinds of stuff. And he starts walking and he sees the queen and she is, of course, you know, picturesque, perfect, no flaw. And, and she, he said, all I could see were those white gloves and I was going to have to shake her hand. It was covered in grass at the moment. I was going to have to shake her hand. And so there's actual video of him trying to like wipe himself off as he's walking up to meet the queen. He's walking. Okay, so I want to show you one more picture of this. Uh, and if you could, you can't probably see it real well, but look at his shorts. Uh, can you see? He's number six there, uh, beating the queen. Look at his short. He's wiping his hands on his shorts. What's he wiping his hand in? Like the filthiest shorts you've ever seen, right? They're terrible. Um, but so he's, he's doing this deal as he's getting ready to, to shake the hand of the queen. Um, he didn't get his hands any cleaner by wiping them on his shorts. How do you get your hands clean from guilt and shame in the face of perfection? Bobby took one look at Queen Elizabeth and he realized that he was unworthy. And, and then he unsuccessfully tried to get his hands clean. And, and whether you and I realize it or not, much of our life is spent in guilt and shame management. Right? We're trying to manage our guilt, manage our shame and so the way we, we try to achieve, the way we relate to other people, the way we have relationship with God, much of it is related to our own sense of shame. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue looking at this moment where, where shame began, where everything changes. Uh, sin has uh, entered the world. Everything and everyone is different now because of sin, uh, but there is hope because of God's love. Um, so let's, let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, we come to you this morning with dirty hands, with imperfect hearts. Yet you still ask us to come and to worship. And, and so, Father, would you help us to hear your word this morning, that we would be changed by it, that our lives would look different as a result. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flashing sword that turned turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So last week, Will showed us the first good news this first gospel, this first good news, this hinting at at, at Jesus and and, and what uh, he would do to defeat sin. And and this is such a huge moment. In in theology, uh, this moment is the ending of one covenant and the beginning of a second covenant. God had made a covenant with Adam that scholars call the covenant of works. Okay, the covenant of works. And this meant that God had promised Adam eternal life in exchange for obedience. Right? Don't eat of this tree and you'll live forever. Right? That's that's the very simple covenant that God has made with Adam. Well, Adam ate of the tree. So Adam broke the covenant. Now what? Right? There's a problem here. Because God said, don't do this, right? And everything will be great. But if you do it, you'll die. He broke the covenant. So now what? And, and we're going to be talking about a second covenant uh, in, just, in just a few minutes. But I, but I want to start by kind of looking at the consequences of this broken covenant. The bad news first, if you will, is what we'll do this morning. So look back again at verse 16. And the bad news starts with the woman. We, we did get some bad news uh, to the serpent last week, right? That was what Will covered. It was the, the bad news for the serpent, which was good news for us. But he, here is the bad news for the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. All right, bad news. Right, that's bad news. Women will have terrible pain in labor, right? And he's speaking to the woman, you're going to have terrible pain in labor. Pain is she gives birth. The second part of this is a little bit disputed, um, and it, and it is not exactly clear what it is. There are lots of opinions about what uh, God says to the woman here. The ESV, which is what we've been reading out of, says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
probably the, the translation that has it the best is the New American Standard, uh, what we call the NASB. Uh, and, and it says this. So he says, um, in, in pain you shall bring forth children. And then it starts verse uh, 17. It says, yet your desire will be for your husband and, and he shall rule over you. Meaning, probably most likely what he's meaning here is you're going to have terrible pain in childbirth, yet you're still going to have a desire for your husband and to have more children despite, despite this pain that's coming into your life. And then on top of that, this, this great relationship dynamic that you had in the garden, it's, it's going to be gone. And, and, and the dynamic is forever going to be different. Okay, so, so the way that God designed this relationship before the fall will be, will be different. Okay? That's, the, that's the, the cleanest, easiest, shortest way I can tell you uh, what this means. Um, because sin has entered the world, relationships will not be as they should be. Men and women now will be destined to butt heads, right? And I know none of that happens in your own relationships, but, but that's going to be the problem. Men and women will butt heads over control, over influence, um, where before they were partners who worked in perfect harmony in the garden. It will all be different now. And so let me also just kind of as a, as a side note, in case you're curious about this, that in both the Old and New Testaments, God's people are commanded to treat women uh, better than any other religion, better than any other culture of that time. All the other cultures around them, uh, God's people were totally different in, in how they uh, respected women. Uh, God seems to be about restoring healthy relationship between men and women throughout Scripture. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the bad news for men. Um, and, and you're going to notice um, that it's much longer than the woman's bad news. Woman just, woman just gets a short one. The guy's bad news is a little bit longer. And, and, and scholars kind of seem to say that the punishment fits the crime in that the woman, she kind of got tricked. The, the man went fully into it knowing he wasn't supposed to do it uh, and, and, and went and... and, and greater disobedience. Then he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Upon you return to the ground, uh, Sorry, until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So remember, everything is now different. All relationships are different between men and women, between people and God, and the battle between the seed of the woman with the serpent, right, which, which Will talked about last week. And now we see the, the relationship between man and the earth change. The way his relationship to work has changed. Things in the garden were easy. Man's work in the garden originally was, was really just to be a, a steward, a, a manager of creation. Right? The creation did all the work. 
but not anymore. Right? Everything used to grow like it was supposed to, but not anymore. Humanity will be forced to what we say, work for a living, right? So if you want to live, you better work. If you want to survive, there's work to do. You can't just sit by anymore. Things have changed. Whatever you are going to eat, you are going to work for it. And then, of course, comes the famous line, until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. If you were here for our service on Ash Wednesday or any Ash Wednesday service, that's what we do. We remember these words, right? That we are dust. We came from the dust and we will return to it. We have experienced, all of us, the pain of this reality, right? We deal with death. Unfortunately, we we deal with it uh, forever and, and everyone we know, we will always deal with it. This is the new reality because of sin. Death. The last bad news is that God expels humans out of the garden and tells them that they will die because they cannot eat from the tree of life. So this relationship where they walked with God in the garden together, it's over. They will not walk with God like that anymore. But I told you that this passage is is hopeful Right? There is hope in this passage, and so we're getting to it now as we get to verses 20 and 21. Then the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the man is going to actually name his wife, which apparently he hadn't done before. I don't know how long they were in the garden, if it was like centuries or a day, I don't know, but he hadn't named his wife yet, right? They just called her woman, I guess. But so now he's going to give her a name. And, and he gives her a name because she is the mother of all living. The, the name he is going to give her is actually the, the Hebrew word for life. So he says, I name you life because you're going to be the mother of all living. Why did he do that? Because Adam saw that, that the Lord was still doing something. It wasn't over yet. Remember, we could have talked about this earlier, but remember when God told the woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. It also means you're going to have childbirth, right? It means new life is coming. When would she have this pain? Right? As she is given the privilege and the responsibility of bringing new people, new humans into the world. And and this is huge. We could spend a ton of time talking about this, but basically we can just say God didn't abandon them. He didn't abandon his plan for them because they messed up. He was going to allow these humans to bring new life to the world. Life is going to go on. When he told them they would die, he wasn't lying. He's just letting them bring more life into the world before that happens. Because he could have just killed them. He could have said, it's over. You broke my covenant. And that would be the end of the story. And it would have been a just punishment if he did it. Right? God would have been totally just in doing that. But instead of them dying immediately, God is going to allow life to go on. They're going to begin to populate the earth. Life will go on because of God's grace and mercy. 
And then let's look at 21 one more time. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed, clothed them. I don't know if you've ever thought much about that verse, but it's amazing. It's, this is incredibly amazing right here. Remember, the, the, the man and the woman had, had made fig leaf uh, coverings for themselves to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. Uh, they would come up with what we would call a temporary solution, right? A fig leaf is not going to do the job for very long. <laughs> no mental images there, by the way. These clothes are not sufficient, right? They're not sufficient. Something better is needed for them. And, and we talked just a, a couple minutes ago about this covenant of works and, and how it has come to an end because of sin. And, and in verse 21, we see something new and something amazing happen. There's going to be a new covenant beginning right here. God is going to start a new thing with these people. In, in theology, we call it the covenant of grace, right? We had this covenant of works with Adam, and it didn't work out so well. And now he's going to do something new that we call the covenant of grace. I like the name of that one better, don't you? The covenant of grace. Simply put, from this time forward, from this time on, the covenant in which God is going to relate to his people will be through his own grace. He says, look, I'm going to start a new covenant in a way I relate to you, and it's going to be because of my kindness and grace and mercy. That's the way this is going to work from now on. You're going to keep blowing it. I'm going to have grace. And it starts right here. Because humans can't faithfully keep any covenant with God that he was, would make with them. They would never, ever keep it. God is going to keep the covenant for both parties. This is an incredible thing. So, so what does God do? Right? How does he start that? How, did, how are they covered? What did it say? Covered with garments of skins. Garments of skins. Where, where did these garments of skins come from, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> some, some innocent animal was taken to make garments for the man and the woman. God sacrificed something for the lives of his people. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? God sacrificing something for the lives of his people? The life of something innocent is given to cover the sins of humanity. This, this sounds really familiar, right? God is going to use a sacrificial system to make an atonement for our wrongdoings. God will continue with this covenant of grace into the New Testament. And, and it is the way that we are brought back to him. That, that innocent animal who died to cover the sins of Adam and Eve, to cover their shame, is a foreshadowing of the Paschal Lamb in the Old Testament, right? The sacrificial system that will be set up through the Old Testament that's ultimately going to point to a Savior, right? The Lamb of God. Jesus, who would be sacrificed for us. Listen to Paul as he describes it in Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And see, what's amazing is, is God's going to give them these skins to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. And Jesus is going to one-up that. He doesn't just cover our sins and, 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 and hide them. He's going to take them away by the blood of the cross. They'll be taken away. We don't have it anymore. We're not just covering up with fig leaves or garments of skin anymore. Jesus has taken them away through the covenant of grace. I, I laugh when I think of old Bobby Moore, right? Frantically trying to clean himself off before he gets to shake hands with the queen in his dirty uniform, doing something he could never do himself. He could never make himself clean enough for that moment. And you and I are in that same situation before God. But God did something amazing. He, he clothed us in righteousness that comes from Jesus so that you and I can stand before him blameless and clean. He can take it all away. So what Jesus would tell us is to stop, stop trying to clean yourself, try to prove yourself to God, and but realize that he has already covered you if you were washed in the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.